You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. I am Jean Chatsky, and welcome to a very special podcast of Her Money. I am coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. I was invited down by my friend Dave Ramsey and his daughter, Rachel Cruz, to talk about some of the work that they've been doing. And I thought, what better way to continue this wonderful conversation that we've started about women and money than to hop on a plane and and spend a little time with Dave. You know, some people are surprised when I tell them that I'm friendly with Dave, just like I'm friendly with Ron Lieber from the New York Times and Lauren Young from Reuters and Liz Weston and Michelle Singletary and other people in the personal finance space. I think they expect us to be at each other's throats, quite frankly. And I've always found that and always believed that there are so many people out there who need help with their money, who need to talk about money, that everybody needs to find the voice that they feel comfortable listening to. And one of the biggest, strongest, most steadfast voices in this space for, gosh, 25 years now has been Dave's. And so it's a thrill to be here in his studio with him and his beautiful daughter, Rachel. We've got a a wonderful show planned for you all today. Dave and Rachel and I will be talking about, of course, how to plan for your future. We'll be talking about steps that you can take if you want to get out of debt and how the baby steps haven't really changed all that much in the last decade and a half. We're going to get Dave's secret for how he raised such a money smart daughter. But before I even get into that, Dave, do you remember that this is the second time visiting you in Nashville? The first time I was a reporter, a very young reporter for Smart Money Magazine, writing a story about money and marriage. You were just starting to make a big name, a big splash in the space with Financial Peace University. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I came out here to see you. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me most is that your baby steps, your message of small steps make a whole financial life work hasn't really changed all that much over the 20 years. <laughs> no, it hasn't. <laughs> the, uh, the, the studio is a little better now. The studio, the studio by the way, I'm going to post. Uh, Rachel Cruz is here as well. Rachel is Dave's daughter. She's got a new book coming out called Love Your Life, Not Theirs, which we will talk about. Um, And Rachel gave me a tour of the building. And I I walked around taking pictures of the art that your fans made by cutting up their credit cards and (laughs) sending you these masterpieces. I, I understand there's one of your head. Yeah, it's kind of bad. <laughs> the face and the goatee, the whole yeah, bit. It's, but it's 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 
nice that they were excited. It's a symbol of the hate <laughs> of the credit card that put it in Dave's yeah, face. Yeah, and put, put my face on that hate. Yeah, it's great. So, so tell me what has changed. What has changed in the – how many years has it been now that you've been doing this? 25. 25. And what what's different now when it comes to people and our management of our money than it was then? I think some of the – some of the problems are different. Uh, when we started, credit cards were the big enemy. They still are. But today we talk about student loans being mm-hmm. such a, a huge problem. Um, a few years ago we were talking about housing being a huge problem. And so the, the, the I guess the symptoms of our mismanagement uh, have changed. The core problems haven't changed. The core principles haven't changed at all that you and I have taught for a couple of decades. We've been friends. And um, so, so the good news is the principles haven't changed, but the uh, and their, the core problems haven't changed. The, the bad news is, is they get they have a different skin on them. It, it's student loans this week. It was housing last week. The week before, it was credit cards or the decade before, however you want to define the timeline. But, but, but th- that hasn't changed. And, and the demographic um, and, and the way the generations are reacting to things, they don't make the same set of assumptions before. Their belief system is a little different. Well, Rachel is specializing in and focusing on millennials. She's 28 years old, and so this would be, I think, natural. Um, but your, your generation is very different. In, in terms of what you believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the philosophy of money is just, it's changing. And I think the access to what we're getting pictures of, literal pictures, I think social media has done damage to this generation. I really do. I think it's um, opened up everyone's life. And I think that you're you're seeing uh, just, a, just a portion of everyone's life, assuming that everything is great. And so your lifestyle is affected by that. I think feeling like, okay, well, I have to, you know, you, I hate to, date you all, but you all, it was kind of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, this idea, but you actually had to see the Joneses in person to compare your life with theirs, where today, you know, they have 18 different filters on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you carry them around in your back pocket. And so I think the access to the world and what we're seeing and what our expectations are, are much different because of of the access that we have. It's, It's very striking to me. I have two kids. I was telling Rachel before my daughter is 19. She's going to be a sophomore in college. My son is graduating from college. The, the most unbelievable conversation that I had with her and some of her sorority friends this mm-hmm. year was the one about how you can't repeat outfits because everybody's seen them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so there's the pressure, right? And there's the pressure to... And it's a false pressure. It's a false pressure. I mean, you're looking at me in something that I've worn on TV many times and will continue to wear on <laughs> yes, TV many times yes. because I don't care. Yes. And this generation, for whatever reason, probably is heightened and does. And that's what's hard is they're ending up spending money that they don't have to keep up this lifestyle that they think everyone else is living. Well, everyone else has different outfits. You know, so I have to keep up with that. And, and that's not true. They're not seeing the whole picture. They're not seeing the credit card debt that may be associated with that. You know, I, I had a friend and she remodeled her kitchen and I was seeing it on Facebook and I found myself, I was like, Oh my gosh, I want granite countertops like that. You know, and then, you know, not her specifically, but just thinking, okay, every time I have those thoughts, like I don't see the possible second mortgage that could have been taken out to redo that. You know, you don't see the whole picture and that's what's difficult. Where does she come from? <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's worked very hard at her craft uh, for the last seven or eight years to start with, and uh, and she's 
uh, she, she's got a good mind, good critical thought, and she's observing these kinds of things. There are things I didn't see, but I, I you know, along that same subject line, I, I love when uh, she says that, you know, you can't compare your real life to someone else's highlight reel. Mm-hmm. And your Facebook, you know, you don't put your kids screaming on Facebook. Right. You put the perfect picture. I mean, I, I, I her, her daughter, my granddaughter. I always put, I, you know, I get six pictures. I pick out the prettiest one before I post it on Twitter. So you right? fall for it too. That's it. So I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, well, no, I mean, I'm not going to put like my worst foot forward. I'm right, not going to put right. that. That was their difficult stage. You know, they're in, right. the, in the restaurant screaming, and we take a picture of that. We don't Instagram that. Right. When we're disturbing four tables around us, with all the grandkids decide to go into orbit and pterodactyl scream at the same time. But but just to dig into this a little bit deeper, how do you raise kids? who have the right values. I mean, you came to this after experiencing financial hardship yourself. Mm-hmm. I got into financial trouble when I was young. Rachel didn't have that. So mm-hmm. how do you, in when you have resources to give your family, raise them with the right values? Well, the, you're right. I mean, we went completely bankrupt the year that Rachel was born. So she was like our little barometer. She was the start over point. Her older sister at that time was two years old. So we had a brand new baby and a toddler the year we hit bottom and had to start completely over 28 years ago. So, um, you know, we had that as a, an advantage to say, okay, we have to drill these things into these kids so they don't have happen to them what we did. And yet then they still get to make their own decisions. So we, we taught them very specifically to work. We taught them how to work and, and then paid them only when they worked. They were on commission, not allowance. Um, we, we taught them very specifically to be givers of some of the money that they quote unquote earned, um, to be savers and to be wise spenders. And then the older they got, the more rope we gave them to make some of those decisions on their own. And if they made some bad decisions while still under our wing, I would rather them bounce a check at 15 years old than at 23 or 22 call from college and go, you know, I've got $1,500 in an SF fees because I'm, I absolutely don't know how to do sixth grade math and keep a reconcile checkbook, you know. And so they, we just did those skills and the values that go with it. And um, we didn't ever allow them to act like they had money. I mean, one of the jokes that we always tell is Rachel's little brother, Daniel, you know, we finally got a decent car after we were kind of climbing out of the mess that we were in and did the family ride around the neighborhood in the new car. And Daniel leans back in the back seat and goes, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> and I said, we're not doing anything, son. You're broke. I've, I'm doing pretty, pretty good, but you got nothing. <laughs> so we didn't allow them to think that somehow that our wealth that we've been able to build was going to change their life. Uh, we didn't tell them they weren't going to get it, but we didn't allow them to live their life in such a way that was like they were waiting on me to die for them to have a good life. No, they need to learn to leave the cave, kill something, drag it home, save some of it, give some of it, and spend it wisely. And I think with that and that idea of giving freedom and letting make mistakes has given us our own dignity. And as a young adult with parents who who taught us well, we can still go out in the marketplace. Sure, we're still going to make mistakes, but I feel like we have the dignity of of our own in a sense and understanding logistically and, and tactically how to handle money, but the the character that shapes who you are as well. What mistakes are millennials making today? 
for me, when I'm going out and talking to people, I think the biggest thing, and I, and I don't think this has changed from when you all started, the thing that is crippling them and not being able to get ahead is debt. And, and as your dad said, I mean, it's in the form of student loan debt most of the time Absolutely. these days. So how do you, how do you avoid that? I mean, you don't avoid college. How do you make sure that you come out of school and you're not in such a deep hole? I think you have to make extremely wise, mature choices that maybe as an 18 year old, your flesh does not want to make you, you want to go to the school you want to go to, but in reality, that may not be a school you're able to afford. And so that's what I always try to pull students back and say, Hey, you're the biggest mistake students make is choosing a school they can't afford. They go out of state, they go to a private school and they don't have the money to pay for it. And so telling students all the time to pull back the reins, stay in state, taking in state tuition at a public college is wonderful. It's so less inexpensive, three times less expensive if you step over a state line. Do that. Or even for students who have nothing saved, go to a community college for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Get those get those credits down. You can work your way through that easily uh, and be able then possibly to transfer to a bigger state school and graduate from there. Um, now, if you if you if if they have the money, scholarships, grants, if the parents have saved, you know, an ESA or 529 and they're able to send their kids to wherever, then go. I think that's great. If you want to go to out of state, if you want to go to the private college, go. Uh, but if you don't have the money, you can't buy it. And that's essentially what you're doing. You're buying a degree. You're working your way through, sure, and earning it. But there's a purchase price to be paid. And so that's the biggest thing, I think, is selecting a school you can afford. And then so many students don't apply for scholarships and grants. There's and a lot of money out there. There is. So that kind of thing. And so getting into the nitty gritty of those details. But what but about it, saving? Are, are, are millennials saving enough? And, and as you look at all people these days, Dave, I mean, are we, I, I, I saw a story in the Wall Street Journal just last week about how credit card debt is again at $1 trillion and mm-hmm. nudging up against 2008 levels, mm-hmm. um, which is worrisome. Mm-hmm. How do we get people to save enough to get out of this trap where you can't even come up with $400? You know, the, you have to make savings a priority. It, you have the money to save. People say, I don't have the money to save. It's just a lie. You do have the money to save. If your child was ill and you had to have $5,000 to buy the vaccine to save their life, you could save money. You make different choices because it mattered. And until it matters, people don't save. It has to matter. It has to be a big deal. And that's when they start saving. And, and that's when I started saving. I'm a natural spender. That's my, that my wife is the natural saver. So saving, you know, the only reason I save money is so that I have money. And I got more to give and more to live. That's the only reason I save money. I don't save money because I like saving money. I, it's, I still, my emotions at 55 years old, I still face that very real thing. But, but I have to decide I'm, I'm gonna, you know, if I want to live well, I've got to make that a value-based priority to where it's my giving and my saving happen before I do anything else. We're not going out to eat. We're not going on vacation. We're not upgrading the couch. We're not upgrading the countertops. We're not doing whatever these things that we call needs that aren't really needs that we all do until we do giving, until we do saving, because no one prospers that doesn't do those two things. How do you get people to understand? I, I mean, I'm you're preaching to the choir, right? I'm, a, I'm an avid, I'm a big saver, and I actually enjoy it mm-hmm. um, because I, I just get the satisfaction out of visiting my savings. And yeah, you're, feeling, like, you're like my wife, Sharon. And yeah. feeling, I feel it makes me feel safe yep. and and powerful. Yep. actually, both. But uh, in people who don't 
know that, perhaps because they have never experienced it. What's the switch flipper? You know, it, it, it has to be that you look out far enough into your future and you don't like what you see. And you start asking yourself the question, is the 50-year-old, when you're 25, you start asking yourself this question, is the 50-year-old me going to be mad at the 25-year-old me if I don't change That's a great some question. Stuff? If I don't change some stuff. And, you know, that's called growing up. You know, how many times have you experienced this coaching people? I have. The number of times that people start their plan, the first time they ever do a budget and and cut up their credit cards and start getting out of debt, the first time they ever save a little money for their first beginner emergency rainy day fund, they have a child. And you know what that does? It grows you up. You go, oh, I have to take care of this little thing. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this this 20-something child now has a child and their maturity switch flips instantaneously it changes you've, you've experienced that coaching them i have too absolutely and, and, I, and all that is is they change their priorities that's all they did well i don't think people come for or take financial advice just because i think they take it because something happens and mm-hmm. it could be the child mm-hmm. it could be a death it could be a divorce it could be turning 50 mm-hmm. i mean it's something mm-hmm. triggers it and they're hopefully you don't have to have a heart attack to lose weight you hopefully. know and get and get yourself in shape you know, hopefully you don't have to. Uh, the only way that you can learn to teach about uh, the dangers of drugs is having been a druggie. And so Rachel can teach about the dangers of misbehaving with money without ever having misbehaved with money and goofed up like I did. So both are credible teachers. But but you don't have to have failed in order to define winning. Dave, you're so right about that. And it's exactly those sort of life events that the women at Fidelity and I were thinking about when we came up with the idea for Her Money. As my listeners know, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives that we work hard for every day. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time where you'll find more conversations like this one with Dave and Rachel. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times like getting married, divorce, starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. The new book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. Where'd it come from? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. The first book I wrote was with dad, Smart Money, Smart Kids. And and through the process of writing that book, uh, Smart Money, Smart Kids, I was really looking behind and in my past and saying, okay, what did, what did mom and dad do when I was a child? And so knowing that I wanted to write a book pa- after that, I sat down in my living room and I remember thinking, okay, Rachel, what is happening right now in your life? Like, what are you doing? And I was currently on social media, on my iPhone, on the side, you know, I'm watching this, you know, probably bad reality TV show. And I'm like, okay, what, what is happening around you? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? And so this book comes out of a lot of what I've experienced, the good and the bad of money and love your life, not theirs. I mean, the title kind of speaks for itself. Uh, this, this battle of comparisons that we were kind of talking about earlier with social media. And so, um, so I've just found through this, that that's probably one of the the most damaging money habits that we have. And so uh, realizing that if you can quit comparing and really reframe the way you look about money and have tunnel vision and say, okay, I'm going to forget everyone else and I'm going to do what I have to do to get to where I want to be and really do the things I value and live the life I want. Here are the seven money habits to get you there. So, so I know you have seven in the book. Top three. Top three. I would say uh, quit the comparisons is habit number one. I think that's a key foundational principle. You have to 
be content with your life in order to move forward. Uh, number two, I would say make a plan for your money. I think uh, living on a budget and being intentional is key. And I think the word budget makes people cringe, especially, you know, maybe the younger generation. No, it makes all of us cringe. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> Everyone hates the budget. Uh, and that, and talking about that through my eyes of that's not me. I mean, I'm not a detailed person. And just like that, I'm a natural spender. So how does that work in this conflict that I have in myself, but to live on a budget and learning that a budget doesn't limit your freedom. A budget gives you freedom. It gives you that permission to spend. And so doing well financially and being intentional and responsible doesn't mean you can't have fun and you can't enjoy your life. And so I feel like making a plan for your money gives you those boundaries. And then I would say uh, the third, probably talking about money, even when it's hard. It is hard. Yes, it, it is. I, it's, it's hard for me. I don't know if it's ever hard for you, Dave, but it is sometimes when I have to have a conversation about money with my husband where I'm feeling like I'm not at my best or even just about the fact that he might want to retire before I do. It's hard. We have to put it in the calendar so that I'll do it. So you do it. I know. And it, it's, it is, it's a subject that so many people avoid. And I think cause it brings up, it brings up your vulnerability. I think it brings up weaknesses, but it brings up strengths as well. And so being able to talk in that habit of whether you're married and you become unified on the subject, which is so key, or you're single, which a lot of people are getting married later in life. But so if you're not going to have that person that is your spouse, finding someone in your life to be able to do. And then also uh, touching on a little bit with kids and money. Parents have to talk to their kids about the subject. And we obviously have smart money, smart kids that dives way deep into that. But I still, as a kid, as of a product of parents who did this, I'm just eternally grateful for that. And so being able to kind of speak into parents' lives a little bit in that habit. What's your big takeaway from Rachel's new book? I think she hit the budgeting subject uh, from a different door than I've ever gone through. Because um, I've always been the you know, scorched earth, live on nothing, beans and rice, <laughs> rice and beans, get yourself out of debt. And a budget did mean lack when you're dealing with Dave Ramsey, you know, the Dave Ramsey brand. That mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was me using a, you're using a tool mathematically to slash and burn your ridiculous lifestyle to clean up your ridiculous mess. And that's kind of where, I, that's the angle I've always started the budget with. And because I was dealing with, you know, getting people out of debt and the debt snowball and all the stuff that people yeah. know me for that know who I am. And so, so for her to come in and say, Hey, uh, you know, maybe you could actually use the budget to actually enjoy your life. Um, lighten up, dad. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> no, it's kind of what that chapter should be titled. She's yeah. giving you freedom to spend, right? So yeah, there that, you go. That's a, so. Yeah. It gives you permission to spend. And she and I were talking about that on the air yesterday on, uh, on my show. Uh, and that sometimes when you have an, you know, using the old fashioned envelope system and we had to, with her mom, her mom wouldn't spend money on clothing on herself when the kids were little because she spent all the money on the kids like a noble mom, right? But then that's not realistic. Of course she's going to buy clothes. So we finally had to break out the category and say kids' clothes, mom's clothes. Mm -hmm. And you're not allowed to spend mom's clothes money except on mom. So it's not only permission to spend. In that case, it was like a demand to spend. (laughs) Go spend some money on you, you know? And and you can do that guilt-free because you have a system that knows that when I do that, the light bill still gets paid. We still can buy groceries. And we're still saving. And we've got no debt. And we're still giving. Exactly. Yeah. Your podcast, I, I as a relatively new podcaster, am always looking at the iTunes podcast rankings. You're always number one. So share. What's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, I cheated. I had uh, about 9 million terrestrial radio listeners to tell that we had a podcast of that same radio show. So Will you tell them about mine? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> okay. We'll do that today. <laughs> Done. Yeah. 
<laughs> absolutely. You can promise. Uh, you can be promised of that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because it's uh, podcasting is uh, we're doing everything on demand. We the people are now. I mean, at 572 radio stations, we still have. Nowadays, we're closer to 10 million radio listeners on terrestrial radio. But we started putting all three hours on the podcast um, uh, free. Uh, with only one commercial per hour. So it's like 38 minutes is an hour now. And um, we put first put out an hour free, and everybody in radio said, oh, don't put it out there free. I mean, make them subscribe. Radio people were all freaking out. And we said, no, that's not how it works. You just help people, and then it works out. And, and then we it worked. It went zoom, zoom. So we, let's put out all three hours. Well, it just went crazy. I mean, we've gone from 1 million to about 3 million in just a heartbeat. In like weekly downloads, I mean, but what we had, but we cheated really. I mean, you've got this, you got this base <laughs> to prime the pump with that that I can go tell to do that sure. and, and that kind of a thing. And so, uh, you know, it, it's a little different than growing something like we grew the radio show organically from the ground up, where every little leaf has to be trimmed as you go along. And this thing, we just mowed it down, kind of. So, um, in that sense, but the other podcasts and stuff we're doing out of Ramsey Solutions are, they're experiencing more of just a, a reality growth, meaning it's not a straight through the roof thing. Uh, even though I mention them on the air and, and promote, you know, Rachel has a great YouTube channel, for sure. instance. Her, hers, she's the camera girl. So everything's on camera with her. But so her YouTube channel, uh, you know, we push that, that kind of thing on the air, but still it, it takes a while for her to build her own tribe, her own following on that because it's a different vibe, a different person than is, is actually a Dave listener. Well, we, um, we listen to you in my car. So I know, I know, um, exactly what you're doing. And it's, it's been a habit of mine for, for many, many years now. I, I enjoy hearing what you're saying. And I have to say, I enjoy hearing that you're saying the same thing. Not always that not. It is. Well, it's, no, it's it, the it, same thing. It it makes me feel better, quite frankly, about the fact that I catch myself saying the same thing because because it's the human being having to deal with this complicated matter of money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it doesn't come naturally. The, the principles don't change; the processes change, and so the principles are still the same. The same thing you've been teaching since I've known you. The same thing I've been teaching since you've known me, and they're the same things. Because the truth is the truth. That does not change. Now, what changes is the products. I mean, do we have a, a chip on our debit card? Uh, do we have debit cards that now have replaced checks while I've been on the air? Mm-hmm. Um, there was no such thing as a debit card when I started. Right. Well, people still balance their checkbooks. Yes. Which, when was the last time you did that? Yeah. Well, I actually reconcile my checkbook, but I do it online. Obviously. Right. Your checking account, yeah. not your yeah. physical checkbook. Oh, that's though. true. I don't that's have a true. checkbook. Book. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. I bet I haven't written two checks in... I mean, at a store in years, uh, but uh, the debit card, yeah. The, the, so the way we do stuff has changed, but the principles are the same. And you you have to give folks a clear path of step by step tactical things that are principle based. And if you do that, then they can go win, and they can control their own destiny. They're not a victim of the marketplace. Dave Ramsey, Rachel Cruz, thank you so much. Thanks for letting me come to Nashville. We're and honored visit to have you as a guest. No, no, thanks I'm, for being here. I'm thrilled. It was really nice to spend some time with Rachel as well. We're, we're talking about her television career. So. Wow. All good. It's great. Very fun. All thank good. you, Jean. Thanks sure. for having us on this. I appreciate it. How much fun was that? 
All right, we are moving on. We're going right to your questions. We always want to hear from you. And you can reach me on Twitter at Gene Chatsky, on Facebook, and at GeneChatsky.com. And as always, Kelly is here with me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You look very summery. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. What do we have this week? At Kasasa on Twitter tweeted asking, what do you think is the biggest hurdle when discussing money with your significant other? I think the biggest hurdle is anywhere you feel you are lacking. So if you feel like you are an overspender, that's going to be the biggest hurdle. If you feel like you don't know enough about investing, that's going to be the biggest hurdle. If you've got a credit card that you haven't copped to or student loan debt that your significant other doesn't know about, that's going to be the biggest hurdle. It's really the emotion that you bring to the conversation that gets in your way of discussing it because that's the thing that's holding you back. And what you have to realize, and and I've had to realize this in my own life, is that it's holding you back. It's not necessarily a problem for the person sitting on the other side of the table. And they may think that it's just strange that you can't get yourself to talk about it. So bite the bullet is my advice. Schedule a time to have this conversation that you don't want to have and then just have it and it'll be easier the next time. Let's say you're just dating. Uh-huh. Are we talking about somebody's life here? I'm talking about a friend. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's say you're just dating and it's a new relationship, but, you know, you're projecting that it's going to be serious or you want it to be serious. How soon would you advise someone to talk about money in terms of what you just implied about your spending habits or your saving habits? Or does that come when you move in? Do we need to I wait? think it comes when you're starting to think about taking that next step. Unless your financial habits and your significant other's financial habits are getting in the way. So if you guys are going out to dinner and one of you is pushing to go to expensive restaurants all the time and another one of you is on the budget, well, you got to talk about money because that is going to become an uncomfortable situation. I think you can start bringing it into conversations without saying, we are going to talk about money. Right. You you can start talking about money, just talking about it. And, you know, whether it's in the in the scheme of talking about business advice or what you did at work today or the questions Mm -hmm. that you were dealing with on the air Mm -hmm. on your podcast. Those are the kinds of things that you can bring up. Right. Just saying. Just have the conversation. For your friend. Yes, for my friend. <laughs> I thank you. I will report back to my friend. <laughs> All right. What else? All right. We have a question on Facebook. Hi, y'all. I have a question about negotiating. I am a 21-year-old getting a full-time offer from a Fortune 25 company. I have been told it's not necessarily a negotiable contract, but I have also heard every contract is negotiable. However, I don't want to push a negotiation when that doesn't work in the system, but I also don't want to not negotiate just because I was told not to, and then I fall in that spiral of not fighting for my value. Confused. Thank you, and love your podcast. Oh, this is a really, really good question. I think you can always nicely ask for more, not accept the first offer. But that said, I know what you're talking about. When some of these big companies, law firms, consulting groups, etc., hire classes of people at the same time, classes of college grads, they're going to pay them all the same thing. And it is not negotiable because if they start negotiating with one versus the other, they lose their level playing fields. And law firms and other kinds of companies in particular are very careful to make sure that they're all paying these new associates, for example, the same thing so that 
these salaries don't spiral out of control with competition. So I, I assume that that's where you are. But I think you can always nicely say, can you do better? I think those four words asked with a smile, there's nothing wrong with them. And the only thing that you're going to gain by asking is respect from the other person on the side of the table. And we often advise people if money isn't negotiable, maybe something else is. In her situation, is it too too bold out of the gate to ask for more vacation days or ask yeah, for probably. time home? It's yeah. probably too bold I'm, and because I think that that's what we're dealing with here. Right. If, if it's not counsel, send us a note and, and give us give us some more information. But if they're bringing in 50 to 100 to 1,000 new people and they're bringing them all in at the same salary, you, you really don't have a lot of place to go. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Kelly. And thanks, everybody, for those questions. Just remember, whatever is on your mind, we want to talk about it. So reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, and jeanchatsky.com. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment. We know, on average, women are more risk-averse than men. That's just a fact. And as a result... We're less likely to invest in the stock market. And new research from an investment app called Stash shows that millennial women are shaping up to be no different. For now, that is. We're looking, of course, to change that on her money. But for now, nearly 80% of millennial women say that they find investing in the market to be confusing and 60% simply can't relate. If that's you, or if you're the parent of a daughter who is voicing similar concerns, here's what to do. Number one, understand you may already be an investor. If you have a 401k or some other kind of work-based retirement plan, you are investing. If your employer offers any sort of matching dollars, then your first goal is to contribute enough to get it. Number two, if you're squared away at work, or if you don't have a work-based plan, then look into opening a Roth IRA. Why a Roth? Your contributions to a Roth are taxed when you make them, which allows you to withdraw the contributions and earnings tax-free when you're of age. In 2016, you can contribute a maximum of $5,500 plus an extra 1000 if you're 50 or over. And Roths are particularly good for millennials because they offer flexibility for education, for buying a first home, and you can get at your contributions if you need them in an emergency. And number three, you need to learn a little bit about the market. And one way to ease into it is with an app. Three of the top apps for helping you learn about your money are Acorns, Robinhood, and Stash, which is the app that did the survey. Acorns will take your spare change from your daily purchases via debit and credit and invest it for you. Robinhood is a trading app that allows you to buy and sell stocks and ETFs very inexpensively. And Stash is designed with novice investors in mind. You start with a minimum investment of five bucks and with the app's goal of getting you to invest a little bit on a regular basis, you can invest a few bucks anytime. Okay. So let's recap. As we were talking about with Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz, you got to make sure that your money is working just as hard for you as you're working for yourself. So you do that by getting into your 401k or your other work-based retirement plan, by making sure that you are kicking in enough to get the matching dollars, and 
if you don't have a plan at work by opening a Roth IRA and making automatic contributions to that account. And then you make the effort to learn just a little bit to make you feel more comfortable with taking on the sort of risk that you need to take in order to make your money grow. Because the typical investor should be you. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Dave and Rachel for a great conversation and for hosting me in Nashville. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show. Please share it with your friends. Please leave us a review. Reviews are really important in the podcast world. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week when we are going to have a very interesting conversation with novelist Jennifer Weiner. She and her husband are polar opposites when it comes to their money, and she has been very open about that. So I can't wait for you all to meet her. And of course, if you're fans of The Bachelorette like I am, we all want to know how she is reading this season. And of course, we'll always have a great way for you to thrive. Thanks for listening and tune in then.